Okay. Welcome to uh, episode one of Think at Heart. Uh, this is going to be a is obviously a new podcast brought to you by Heart Investment Group. I'm Scott Goodfellow. This is the namesake with me, Ben Hart of the Heart Investment Group. Hello, hello. Uh, yeah, let's just you know let's start off since this is episode one, talking about a little bit. Uh, who we are, who the investment or heart investment group is, and um, you know, kind of start from there. Sounds good. So you want uh, want me to go through and give my give my bio and let's talk it out, yeah. and then you can give yours. Yeah, sure. Sound good. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So I mean, look, I've been in the business now for twenty years, but uh, I had my initial interest in the markets when I was thirteen. My dad was interested in the stock market, so I started following stocks. I bought TD Bank and Inco were my first stocks. I grew up in Sudbury, so you know, as uh, as I was young, I had a lot of interest in it, but really didn't know what I wanted to do uh, with my career. And uh, after I had a golf scholarship and uh, went to university elsewhere, um, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my career. Spent lots of time in uh, traveling. We spent uh, some time together in Australia, but uh, when I was in Australia, I spent a lot of time reading Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett, any kind of investment book I could get my hands on. And so when I came back from Australia, I knew this is what I wanted to do. This is the business I wanted to get into. Um, got uh, I'd applied to you know probably 40 different jobs at a bank. Didn't have any experience, so. Um, I got about, I got 39 rejections, but one place gave me a shot, Scotia McLeod. And so that started my business or started my launch into this business. Um, so, you know, learned a lot over the years, been through some of the worst bear markets of all time. Um, 2001 was early in my career, um, but it definitely shaped the way I think about investing, momentum investing. You know, we got a lot of similarities to what's happening today, um, uh, similar to what happened in 2001. So I've learned a lot about that kind of momentum trade. Um, then we went through 2007, 2008, and uh, obviously it was the housing crisis, and that was a seriously traumatic event for most people in investing. And so, you know, as you go through these different stages of kind of learning, you, know, you constantly think about how you want to structure portfolios and spend a lot of time learning as you go through this process. And so, you know, I've come to where I am today with, with a lot of wounds, a lot of learning. Definitely, we can dig into the philosophy and how I think about investing now. But, uh, you know, that's, that's I guess, a, a high level. And I've worked in all levels. I've been an associate, been an advisor, been a branch manager, and right now I'm a senior portfolio manager at National Bank Financial. Gotcha. Wow, it's quite the quite the road trip you've been on there. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> 20 years. 20 right? years. How'd that happen? I know. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, I think um, you know. We obviously have much different. You've been all in this industry for 20 years. I'm yep. relatively new to it from a standpoint of, um, but from a standpoint of, I actually came from uh, more of the sales and marketing backgrounds, um, building brands for the last 20 years, basically in the service-based industry. So when this opportunity came up to join the Heart Investment Group, uh, Ben and I are related. 
Um, we're, uh, he's married to my sister, which makes him my brother-in-law, which is definitely, a, it's actually worked out to be a really good dynamic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I started my career kind of in the retail industry, mm-hmm. uh, managing, managing retail stores yeah. uh, after I finished school. Um, and then from there, I realized once we started, I got married and started having kids, I knew the retail environment. Oh, I love that, that environment wasn't going to be great for, for raising kids a lot of nights and weekends, uh, as far as the peak times are concerned. Um, so then I actually joined the family business, which was a, a real estate consulting business, um, grew that to a, from basically zero to a multi-million dollar business. Then I launched a marketing company, uh, had multiple offices, 40 employees, um, grew that with a partner as well. Mm-hmm. And now, um, you know, I'm taking that experience and bringing it to Heart Investment Group, which already have, we've only been doing this for a short period of time. And already we're, we're kind of seeing what the model is and, and yeah. kind of bringing a new angle, I think, to the whole industry. Yeah, for really, sure. Like what we have in mind isn't, uh, there's really very few advisors or portfolio managers are doing this kind of thing, both yeah. from a client services side the systems that we're putting in place now to service our clients better Mm -hmm. just keep them informed and communicate kind of in the new media uh way um we've already started doing that um and we're getting great results with that and then from a just from a marketing we take an education based uh approach to marketing right where we're just trying to provide value Right. Yeah. Every yeah. time that we talk to people, we're yeah. trying to tell our story about how we're different, because let's be honest, you know, like in the service based industries, it doesn't matter which what it is, whether you're a realtor, mortgage broker, yeah. uh, investment advisor, it's very crowded people. It's hard to differentiate yourself for sure. But uh, I think we have a unique story to tell both from success and what mm-hmm. our service offering is. It's yeah. vastly different. You always see usually they see like these one percent differences. Yeah. I think what we have to deliver now or what we're we're trending towards is, is yeah. vastly different for sure yeah. so what do you what do you think about uh why um why advisors and obviously you've seen it in in other businesses as people start to go online and do this kind of thing what do you think the biggest challenge that people have to, to do this kind of thing um well i think there's a few things i think there's a lot of fear yeah, uh, is always the main thing, right? The mm-hmm. fear of looking stupid, right? Yeah. Um, especially in this industry where you're kind of making bets publicly, right? Sure. You're kind yeah. of putting your viewpoint out there yeah. and the market will tell you and everybody else if you're <laughs> wrong, right? But, yeah. you know, it's it's the people that can be brave and, and yeah. uh, not really care about the losses. I mean, everybody's going to have yeah. losses, Right? Yeah, for sure. For but sure. if you can go on record early yeah. and be yeah. one of the early adopters, you can have some big wins too. It's like any, it's, it's like anything, right? You're gonna have wins and losses for sure. For sure. So you know. do, you, do you know what the uh, success rate is like for the hit rate for the most successful hedge fund managers of all time? No. What their batting averages? No. No. So it's about 60%. 60? Yeah. For the best people ever. For the best. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the best. Yeah, that tells you something. You know what's interesting about that, and I don't want to go too much off a train of thought, but yep, for sure. Isn't that isn't that funny that um, you know that's that's the average, but you know clients seem to think sometimes that you should win every time. Yeah, exactly. Every every trade, everything that you should buy, like when you buy something, it goes, you know, it goes down, and yeah, uh, you know, you're getting that phone call. 
for sure. For, right. To- totally. Look, yeah. I, I mean, we can de- we can talk about lots of those opportunities, lot of lots of those things that I've seen. I can win, you know, thirty six out of fifty trades in a year, but everyone wants to talk about the fourteen trades that I that I screwed up, like yeah. what what happened there. And yeah. uh, I mean, that's uh, for something we can dive into as we go. Um, sure. But but uh, you're right. That's that's what people want to look at. Yeah. So let's, let's go into a little bit about the, again, because there's so many different trains of thought and ways of thinking in the sure. this industry. Yeah. What's, what's the way of thinking of the heart investment group? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've, because I've worked at all kind of all different levels of business, I've seen, uh, you know, probably you know, 70 to 80 advisors run their practices one as a from a management perspective I've seen what works what doesn't and you know my focus and our focus has always been on like let's make sure we're driving results for people you know this industry like most sales based industries are based on revenue like how much revenue am I generating and, you know, one of the things that I got frustrated about early in my career is, you know, guys are getting rewarded for making a lot of money for themselves. But when you dig in to look at their performance numbers, they were horrible. They're losing money for people consistently, yet uh, the firm had no interest in it and, and clients didn't seem to know what was going on because reporting wasn't very good. So, you know, our philosophy is, you know, we got one job to do and our job is to make sure we drive portfolio returns from a risk adjusted basis. And so, you know, this industry doesn't talk very much about risk. It's all about return. What's the return profile? You know, you go into the bank and they say, you know, here's the five profiles, your conservative, your, you know, income, your balance, your growth, et cetera. You pick one of those five buckets and then they slam you in that fund and hopefully it performs for you. Um, you know, what that doesn't take into account is that risk is the, the deciding factor on that as well timing is. And so, you know, if you kind of hear a lot of these quotes where it's not timing the markets, it's time in the markets (laughs) that makes you successful, right? Right. Like that's that in my opinion is BS because, you know, you you tell an investor that bought the, you know, the, the March 2000 peak of the NASDAQ, you know, they're a decade plus before they're making money. If they stayed with that trade, they probably didn't, but if they stayed with that trade. So, you know, you tell that person time in the market is, is, uh, is what is all it takes. And I, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a misrepresentation. So anyways, you know, I focus on managing, we focus on managing portfolios from a risk adjusted basis, but ultimately it's about, to, you know, driving performance. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, that's probably one of the, been one of the biggest shocks that I've had since coming into this industry is, you know, talking to other advisors and different associates that I've seen around the office, you know, and most of them do that, you know, they, they pick a fund and they stick their clients into it and they really don't worry too much about what the returns are, right. Because they don't really have any control over it. Right. right. Nor do they want it. That's right. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. there's so much research and so much risk. I don't, I don't probably risk isn't the right word, yeah. but you know, they have that fear. They don't want to be wrong. That's right. right. They rather yeah. give it to somebody else to be wrong. That's right. If they're going to be wrong. Right. Yeah, for sure. 
And then as soon as the if that fund is up for the year, the, I'm sure they're the first one taking all the credit. Yeah, of right? course. <laughs> you get a lot, and you get a lot of performance chase, right? So you get yeah. the guys that want to buy the fund that did great last year. When you know the better trade is to buy the buy the fund that hasn't performed as well because it's likely to perform better. But you know that was the biggest, you know. <clears throat> So I converted to be a portfolio manager about six years ago, but in 2008, when the market was was cracking down, you know, I was in funds and SMAs, which are separately managed accounts, where you're using like Jaroslawski Fraser and Foist and Gordon and these institutional money managers that you thought, well, these guys must have their fingers on the pulse, right? You know, and they're going to outperform because they always have, and uh, you know that wasn't the case. You know, those managers, you know, maybe they were down 35 and the market was down 40. Well, look at clients don't care that they outperform the market by 5%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They've lost 35% of their capital. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you often hear that too, like, you know, over the long period of time or over the long term, you know, it's really hard to just outperform the market. Mm-hmm. Right? Like people mm-hmm. are just say, oh, you know, are encouraged to just put their, put their money in index funds, funds or whatever, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, why is, why do you think that's not the right play? Like, do you think, hmm. you know, do you think that, that advisors and portfolio managers can outperform the, the, the index funds? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I think that uh, generally people want to talk about the market though. Uh, where the objective is solely to outperform the market. You know, I think that um, the the one thing that we continue to miss is the risk, right? So, you know, if, like this past year was a great example of that, right? Coming into 2020, my expectation was we we're going to have a mild recession based on where we were in the economic cycle. Um, COVID obviously was the was the pin that pricked the bubble. Um, so my uh, with the, with the view that I thought something bad was coming, I had index puts built into portfolios um, that you know when the market dropped we'll call it 40 percent you know portfolios are down six eight percent um and while you know my performance this year was based on the first six months of the year because i was managing for risk where most people I don't want to say got lucky, but because they held on to it, their performance was in the second half of the this year. So, you know, net net, we probably had similar returns this year, um, but we didn't have the crazy ride that most people had. You know, forty percent drawdowns followed by kind of a retracement, where it's gut wrenching for people. You know, right. you got a million dollar portfolio and you're down sixty grand. Well, you can live with that. But you got a million dollar portfolio and you're down four hundred grand. You're gonna be you're gonna be panicky. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it's hard to sleep at night, right? They probably had a few months there where you know they were unsure about what was gonna happen to their money long term. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So as for index funds, I mean, I think that'd be a, a podcast we should should do exclusively to dive yeah. into where and how and where they're appropriate and should they be appropriate. And I think the answer is we use them in our strategy. We use ETFs mm-hmm. and, yeah, for, for one reason or another, depending what we're trying to get exposure to. Um, but uh, buy it and forget it. As we've talked uh, a number of times already, 
a buy it and forget it has to have the view that the next 40 years are going to be like the last 40. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not my view. It's not our view. Right. Yeah. Right. Obviously, as we dive into crypto and talk about money printing and stuff like that, we can we can go into why we think that yeah. way. But yeah. 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 Well, let's let's take that opportunity then. It might be a good segue to go into like, so what is what is it that we're looking at right now as far as you know investment strategy and just where the world's at and what we think what we're interested in. Let's call it that. What we're interested in right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, it's it's a great question, and yeah, I try to look at the world from a multi-pronged approach you know what's you know what do i expect to happen over the next three to six months what do i expect to happen over six to 18 and then you know 18 plus and so when we'd construct a portfolio we'd look at those kind of different levels um, and put investments that fit into those different buckets into portfolios so you know from a three to six month perspective yeah I think we're clearly in an inflationary environment right now with uh, uh, increasing growth as well. So with that kind of setup for the next three to six months, you want to have assets that do well typically in that period, which is energy, uh, consumer discretionary, uh, commodities, um, you know, maybe some of the beaten down um, like airlines, cruise lines, those kind of things. You got this kind of reflation trade happening. I think it's temporary, but I think that's what's happening right now. And then you'd look kind of at the, the medium term. You probably can have some, some bonds within the portfolio, maybe some emerging markets, uh, bonds and convertible debentures. And then you go that 18 plus month um, kind of time frame, which I would call the kind of the tail, the long-term things we want in portfolios. And so, you know, that's typically where the longer, more exciting things are. And so, you know, what's fallen into that bucket in the last, we'll call it 14 months for us is, is cryptocurrencies. And so, you know, I uh, started following them pretty seriously in, in probably 2018 as, as, as a currency, as cryptocurrency took off, went from, you know, kind of a couple hundred bucks to 20,000 in the year. Um, my view at the time was that uh, it was a bubble. Um, and up until uh, 20, uh, the end of 2018, wh- where uh, the Chicago Board of Exchange was the first um, in, uh, exchange to actually offer futures contracts and the first opportunities for institutions to buy them, but more so for the institutions to short them. So because we had that big run up, there was no ability to short them and kind of put some pressure to the downside. So on the back of that, we saw, you know, kind of a 80% retracement when crypto went from, you know, 20,000 down to a few thousand. And then as we started to come into this year, as I, as I you know, wrote in my annual report about a year ago now saying, I think, I think Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was an asset class that we should consider within portfolios. And as we got into kind of spring of this year, um, it, uh, I started to get serious about seeing how do I, how do I put this into portfolios? Um, I attended a crypto con- conference run by Real Vision um, with Raul. He brought in kind of the best of the best and, and learned and studied this, you know, this 
understanding of what crypto was. Um, by no means am I, an, am I an expert in the space, um, but uh, certainly it's something that I thought was important within portfolios. Um, and so uh, fortunately around uh, April, May of, of this past year, 2020, um, 3IQ brought the first closed end Bitcoin fund to the market. So I had the ability to buy on behalf of clients. Um, so um, I put it in portfolios in May, obviously lots of pushback from my firm um, as they didn't think it was an appropriate asset class. And ultimately I'm trying to look for things that diversify portfolios. And, and this was one that did. For sure. And you mentioned that you had pushback from the firm. That's, that's something that up until just recently, and again, talking to other advisors, I mean, nobody else was looking at this, nor was there a way really to buy it, right? And put in yep. people's portfolios. Yep. Um, you had to go through, you know, one of the um, on online offerings like a Coinbase or something like that sure. um, in order to buy it. So that that's great. But yeah, like talking to other advisors, I mean nobody was considering that to put the, the, that in your portfolios, right? It was often seen as gambling, a little bit too high risk, but I think like anything like that, you know, uh, anything new, a new asset class like that, people are, it's again, it's just more fear-based, right? People don't know yeah. what it is. And they sure. still don't know what it is. Yeah, for sure. I, th I think, I mean, we're going to talk more about crypto as we go. We'll do like some some more specialized podcasts just on yeah, those sure. uh, to really explain exactly what it is and what it yeah. means for the future. But it, hmm. it's essentially lining up as the future of currency is, is basically um, the way that it's lining up, right? Yeah, for sure. And I just, I mean, it's, it's right and true to your point. I mean, I had a, you know, I've always had kind of a bi-weekly call with a group of advisors who are, you know, think a little bit differently than me, but uh, certainly ones I respect. And when I, when I uh, pitched this and brought this to the table in, in April, they uh, thought I was off my rocker. So, you know, I think ultimately, though, the one thing I'd like to clarify, though, you know, is you don't need a 50% allocation to this in your portfolio for it to have made a difference last year. You know, we talked about this off camera before we came on. And uh, I mentioned to you, if you had a 99% allocation to cash, a 1% allocation to Bitcoin, uh, you outperformed the S&P 500 last year. So, you know, it's not like you need to go out of your mind with, with this. Uh, it's yeah. just, you know, thinking about where it plays into people's portfolios. Yeah. And it's unbelievable how much credibility you just gained in the last three months. Yeah. Right? You get yeah. like Paul Tudor Jones and a few other massive and institution money starting to come yeah. now too. And, yeah. you know, just now, you know, some of the banks, Canadian institutions are starting to recognize it. Right. Sure. So, uh, and yeah. offer it in people's portfolios. So. Yeah. I know it's a bit of, been a bit of a fight for you just to, to get it in your clients' portfolios, but definitely makes you look uh, like a genius now, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, it's worked. It's worked, but uh, there's, uh, there's lots to, uh, to think about. And, you know, we can definitely go down this rabbit hole and there's, there's lots of sidebars to go on to this. But, you know, I for think sure. as, as uh, the one thing that both you and I share is that we have this kind of constant uh, 
um, thirst to, to for knowledge. And so, you know, we got to keep learning. We got to keep thinking about what's what's around the corner. I've always prided myself on trying to look ahead. And, you know, this business is always focused on looking back. And so, you know, I can't sell you yesterday's returns. <laughs> you know, we, I need to look ahead and see what's what's ahead and, and buy what's going to do well for the next six, 12 months or and and long off into the future. And, you know, that's where, where the magic happens. Yeah. I think we're in such a crazy time right now. I think the one thing that's just becoming more evident is change is just coming at such a rapid pace now that if you can't adapt to it, you're going to be left in the dust. Right. So, you know, people just taking, taking their time to make decisions and like all that's over. Right. If you're not ahead of the curve now and making decisions and staying informed what's you know, with the industry and the world uh, economy and whatnot, then, you know, you're going to be left in the dust. And I think, um, yeah, you know, you can't just sit back and wait anymore. For sure. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. And that's where I've tried. I've looked, you know, I've, I've paid for multiple research sources over the years. I've looked at hundreds of different, you know, reporting systems and CIBC and Scotiabank and, uh, Credit Suisse and you know all these investment managers and initially coming into this business I always thought you know like these guys know way more than me <laughs> yeah. yeah but then as you learn as you go you know they they make decisions that are different than what it is that clients want or what it is that you want or what it is that you need and so you got to find uh, a place that you can be comfortable with you know who's adapting as well uh, with the future. And so that's where I've come on with, uh, at least for the last couple of years, I've been following Hedgeye, which is a risk management company that provides uh, real-time data uh, that helps with the trading decisions that we make. Um, you know, a couple of other sources that we can dive into as we go. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a matter of aligning yourself with people that can provide inputs that help you make appropriate decisions. And so that's really changed too. I mean, Real Vision, who I mentioned, you know, they're really trying to give us access to the best and the brightest where we would have never had access to before. You know, they interview Paul Tudor Jones, uh, you know, um, Stan Druckenmiller. I mean, Stan's the probably the only guy that's never lost money in 30 years. You know, typically you don't have access to these kind of brains. And uh, now you have the ability to, to get into the way they think. You know, Stan's a classic example where, you know, he talked about his trading in early 2000. You know, the market just kept going up and going up and going up. And he was like, I'm an idiot for not being long with the market. And so he, he swayed from his uh, process and then lost a couple billion dollars when the market turned against them. And so, you know, what that taught him is that you got to think about what's happening at all times. You got to learn and get better and listen to what the market's giving you. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is everybody has access to this information. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly in this day and age, everybody has access to it, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's more of kind of, you know, filtering through what's important, what's not right. And just having the time to do that. Right. You look at, you look at these, um, you know, like the online brokerages, like the Robin Hoods and the, and the, uh, what's it called? Simple Wealth. Well, Simple. Well, Simple. simple. Yeah, yep. I just got it mixed up. Yep. But, um, you know, 
and you look at those from an investment side and you're like, I think a lot of people would argue that's going to be the, the future of investing, right? Oh, like people can do this on their own. You know, they don't have to pay the fees, whatnot. But what does that give you? What does that give you versus, you know, somebody like you? Yeah. 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 So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a great point. I think, you know, part of the decision to, to come to national bank financial was, I, I was thinking about what they were doing as well. You know, they have some strategic partnerships with some online firms, uh, from a kind of structure perspective. And, you know, you got to think about what's happening ahead of you for sure. And I think our business is changing a lot. And so, you know, what I do is completely different from a Wealthsimple or a Robinhood. Um, you know, Wealthsimple is the same as a bank from the perspective is they jam you into uh, kind of a fund of fund or an ETF of ETFs where you buy a basket based on your risk profile. But, you know, I think the biggest thing is people don't understand their risk profile. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if I say to you today, you know, the market's at an all time high, what's your risk profile? You're going to tell me a aggressive growth, you know, at the bottom of 2008, what's your risk profile? Conservative, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like people completely adjust to the cycle of the market. They don't, they don't, they don't make a decision based on that. I mean, so that's a part of what we do. Obviously we're our full service um, uh, team where we do financial planning. We do estate planning. We'll help you find accountants, lawyers. So we do offer that full, you know, full service investment offer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things you don't, you don't get from a, from a self self-directed, we'll call it. For sure. And the reason why I'm asking these questions isn't to be like a commercial for what we're doing. I think it's yep. because this is ap- episode one. I think that it's just to kind of set the stage for, uh, who we are, what we do, how we're different, what kind of the overall worldview is, what are the you know, the overall strategy is compared to what everybody else does yeah. and whatnot as well. And, and how, and maybe exactly what, what you just did is talk about where the industry is going, what new services are going to be out there. Like yeah. you said, like they're, you know, the industry is changing like crazy, but yeah. to be honest, what industry isn't right now, you know, yeah. what part of the world isn't changing, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever, anything that isn't, you know, overrun, by the internet that's that's just you know everybody wants to cancel every service-based business by the internet right and they think oh you know well, we can have an app for that and then we won't yeah. need advisors same yeah. thing with real estate i've heard it for i you know i was in real estate for 20 years right i heard in real estate forever oh you know we have these uh, fee for service now where you can pay a thousand dollars and they'll come and do all the same things well those never work because you don't get the same value for right? sure. Yeah, for sure. So I, I yeah. definitely, you know, after being in this for a while, I see a very similar parallel to that where, yeah, you know, uh, it's just going to, all the, all the online services is just going to be able to enhance yeah. the advisor's role, right? right. It's going to yeah. give us better, better tools to yes. service the client better. And I for think sure, sure. advisors that look at it as like that and aren't afraid of those things and fight yeah. against them and try to keep it in the old way yeah. and use those tools as we're doing right now on this yeah. podcast yeah. to educate clients are the ones that are going to win. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. And look, the average advisor in this business is 58. Um, so they're definitely, it's an older business. Yeah. And so lots of people aren't adapting, don't want to adapt, don't want to hear it. Yeah. Um, don't want to think about the fact that the business is changing. And so that's, I mean, certainly a great opportunity for us. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, I come from the view that, you know, clients pay us to manage their money, manage their portfolios. They don't pay us to, you know, sit back and give the money to a mutual fund company or to somebody else to make those decisions. Ultimately, right. uh, the buck stops with us. And, you know, one of the, I guess, differences between a portfolio manager and an investment advisor, which is something you'd asked me about before, too, is that, you know, an investment advisor kind of manages beside you. You know, like you and I, Scott, I would say, hey, Scott, what do you think about, uh, you know, what's your risk like? And you'd tell me you're, you know, uh, you know, I am willing to take a bit of risk. And then I would put a portfolio in front of you and you'd have to say, OK, yeah, I guess so. That makes sense. And then every time we do a trade from that point on, I call you up and say, hey, Scott, I want to sell Scotiabank and buy Royal Bank. And you have to say yes or no. So it's kind of a co-relationship where a portfolio manager like myself and like our team is, is we have fiduciary duty to do what's right for our clients. And so, you know, everything that we recommend and put into portfolios, we have a legal obligation for that. And, you know, it's a real different offer than, than people are probably used to and aware of. Yeah, for sure. And that's a good, that's a good point too. Like how many you know what what's the ratio of portfolio managers to advisors like there's are there a lot more advisors than portfolio managers out there yeah for sure for sure and there's a lot of portfolio managers that call themselves portfolio managers and really they're either closet indexers where they just buy an index and and do that uh, and uh, and or just carry the title but don't actually manage money from a discretionary perspective so it's a fairly gotcha. na narrow group. So what's the benefit then to the client to being with a portfolio manager rather than an advisor? Like, you know, if I, if I have my money with somebody, would I not want to know every move they make? Like, is there a real value to me sure. or, or it's just, or it's just, you know, less of a hassle because they don't have to, I don't have to deal with it as a client. Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, so, you know, I, I, I ultimately, as, as I thought about it and started to think about, you know, some of the challenges you have when you're growing a business too is, uh, you know, I get clients, you know, say we got 120 households, um, and, you know, I get clients from, you know, $15 million to, you know, $200,000. And so ultimately, my job when I tell somebody, you know, maybe this is the son of an important client or daughter of an important client, I want to give them the same returns as they're getting. As an investment advisor, you can't do that. There's no way, you know, you can't, you can't manage money across the book and give people the same type of performance. And so one of the things I thought is, you know, I want to give people what I promise, which is, Here's the returns. I'm expecting to, to deliver that. And so when I execute a trade, say we're going to buy, um, you know, uh, uh, we're going to buy a stock, you know, um, 
today, say for example, I'll just obviously give you an example of a trade that we did last week, which is probably a good one, is uh, you know I wanted to buy um, U.S. financials, and so in order to execute that trade, I wanted to go ahead and make sure all of the clients that were in my discretionary portfolio got filled at the same price. So no matter where you fit on that spectrum, you're going to get that same fill price. And so what that means is that you know the clients are going to get the same returns. They're going to get better execution we're gonna they're gonna they're gonna see and, and know everything that goes into the portfolio and so as as i went into this that was something i asked myself as i went back and i had written down you know kind of the 50 trades i did for clients prior to um, becoming a portfolio manager and i looked at and those people that i kind of hemmed and hawed on i call you up and say you, know, you you might say to me oh well ben do you think this is the exact right time to do this or should we, should we, uh, you know, should we wait a couple of days? And so, um, as I looked at that and went back and and saw, you know, is that the right thing to do for them? You know, I'd say two times out of ten, it was the right thing to wait. Um, but the other 80% of the time, it wasn't. And if you don't execute based on what's happening at that specific time, then you've missed the trade. And so. <clears throat> I just found that it wasn't a consistent way to make money uh, for, for people. And to your point about how the market and how the world's evolved, like you got to execute quickly. And if you can't do that, then it's, you're doing disservice to clients. Right. Cause that's the thing too, with an advisor, right? Like if they have, they represent 150 households if they want to make a bulk trade they had to make 150 phone calls just to make that happen that's right. usually by i mean how does the middle how long would it take to do that three days at, at least, least at maybe least. a week yeah. right and by that yeah. time the opportunity is gone that's right right yeah so absolutely well that's that's interesting information and oh and you know what it's it probably because you've been doing it so long it's probably second nature to you and you probably don't think of it that often but Certainly, I think the average person doesn't know the difference between what an investment advisor and a portfolio manager does. That's for sure. For sure. And look, you know, to I don't want to keep hammering on crypto, but, you know, if I came to the 100 clients that I put it in portfolios for in May of this year, you know, imagine I had 100 phone calls with people telling them I'm going to buy Bitcoin this year. No. I would have got 10 of the hundred people in it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't beat my head against the wall. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, okay. Well, let's, let's finish this off with talking about what this podcast is going to be moving forward. I think this podcast is mostly to set the stage. This is episode one. Um, So who we are, what we do, how we're different, what our worldview is. Um, Now, what do we want to do? What value are we going to give to people out of this podcast on a week to week basis? Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, how you started when we talk about the education piece, I think that's certainly something we'd like to do. Um, I've always thought that finance or investment was very opaque for people. And I'm hoping we can kind of take down some of those walls and really kind of maybe peel back what the business is about, what the industry is about. And, you know, hopefully educate some people around around that. And, you know, ultimately, uh, we want people to make informed decisions in their life. 
and uh, hopefully we can we can help uh, address that as well. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I think think too. Uh, what's important is that, uh, like you said, we're gonna we're gonna bring you the best of the best and what's relevant at that time, right? So, yeah, yeah. so for example, I know we keep saying talking about crypto. Why do we yeah. keep talking about that? Because it's relevant. It's easily yeah. uh, the biggest the biggest uh, news and investment world right now. Sure. Um, right. So that's what we're going to continue to talk about. We're mm. going to do specific segments on that. We're going to bring in some experts, do some interviews and mm. not just on, on, on crypto. We're going to sure. do, you know, we have tax season coming up. We're going to yeah. have episodes on taxes, whatever's relevant at the time. Um, we're going to, we're going to talk about it and we're going to do that. We're going to educate people on what's, what's interesting in the world and what's interesting in the market as far as the investments are concerned and what the opportunity biggest what we feel from our worldview is the biggest opportunities coming up for sure for sure right yeah absolutely, absolutely. yeah absolutely okay do you have anything uh, any more anything else you want to to wrap up episode one with no i don't i don't think so too much i guess the only thing i would say is we will we'll try to put out as much as we can um we do post on on linkedin and uh the other sources as uh um as we'll get better at this but uh, linkedin kind of is the the one where we've spent the most time on right now and so if people are interested in kind of following along the thoughts as the week goes by um uh, please uh please uh, look look for us on uh, on linkedin um but i'd say that's uh say that's that's it for now i mean look i could talk here all day and we got lots of things we can go into and talk about in more detail um yeah. but i but i think that's that's a great start yeah absolutely okay so yeah well that wraps up episode one um thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next week thanks